After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeHereNow. Welcome to the CSM Podcast with David Nickturn. Creativity, spirituality, and making a buck. Blending spiritual and temporal realities, joining heaven and earth. We will be talking with a variety of manifestors, individuals who have, in one way or another, clarified their vision, created an offering, and brought that offering to the marketplace. Let's see what we can learn from them as we each move forward towards solving our own life puzzle. Facing the challenge of living in the spirit, in the body, in the world, in this time. If you're interested in supporting the CSM podcast, please visit eherenownetwork.com forward slash David. Thank you, Duncan, for uh, joining us on this uh, podcast. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. And uh, the topic is one of the chapter titles of the new book, Creativity, Spirituality, and Making a Buck, which you chose, which is the topic of success and contentment. Yes. So that's interesting because you're operating in a a world that these issues are relevant, right? Yes. So I'm just going to throw it to you. What, what do you make of that distinction? Well, because, you know, I, I, I picked that chapter because I used to be the talent coordinator at the comedy store, mm-hmm. and um, which means I, uh, this is when Mitzi Shore was still running the show there, and uh, I was the second to last talent coordinator that worked under her. And I would say I was the last talent coordinator to work under her when she had, a, when she was all there because she had Parkinson's. And mm-hmm. so there was some, uh, uh, you know, the things that go along with that and just getting old in general. But I was mostly her assistant, but what it did is it gave me a kind of uh, chance to connect with every like at the comedy store all these various levels of comedian from like open micer to super successful Mm. comedian 
And um, that's where I made friends with Joe Rogan, who became my mentor in comedy and then and, and started taking me on the road. And there were all these encounters with success. Um, and, the, and, and the encounters with success in the beginning, they were I was encountering it with a mind where any or just, you know, this was when TV still meant something mm-hmm. there. The Internet was there and there was like this. This was this. I think this was even before Dane Cook started using MySpace to promote his comedy shows. So in those days, if you wanted to make money as a stand-up comic, there was no option to have a, a successful YouTube video or a successful podcast. Comedians would actually go on the road and they would have placed on tables cards and people would write their phone numbers down. <laughs> That that and they would get these mailing lists, phone number lists. You know, this was like that was what you would have to do. You you a, a stand up comic not getting on TV would become what was called like a road dog, is what it was called. And basically, you would have you would do morning radio. You would hopefully get booked at these clubs, and you would have to do almost like a political campaign for your career. And and over time, if you were lucky, you might have get crowds come and show up. So that was the time period when I, that was the very end of that time period. And in that time period, getting on TV meant everything for a comedian because suddenly you were exposed to like the markets and then you could, people come to see you at clubs and that means you could book time at clubs because what club is gonna hire a comedian that isn't gonna have a draw outside of the draw of the club? It's called having a draw. Sure. So for me, running into a comedian at that now you run into someone who's been on tv it's like we've all been on tv at this point now it's like what andy warhol's like literally almost every single one of us at this mm-hmm. point has been on tv it seems like but at the time i would i can remember getting on the phone with the Sklar, randy sklar these are two a comedian duo and he had just been on some tv show i can't remember what it was it was just a tv show and i said to him how does it feel to have made it? Uh, and I meant it. Uh, I really meant it. Wow. And he said to me, what are you talking about? I think he thought I was being sarcastic, like I was messing with him. Like he didn't realize I'd just come from a liberal arts school in North Carolina. And in my mind, this guy had made it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Duncan, we have not made it. This is not making it. I mean, I, I don't think I even at the time I probably thought like, People on TV are getting paid instantly hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're getting, you know, some kind of SAG fee, maybe five or six hundred dollars <laughs> per appearance, if that, you know. But in my mind, it was just the most incredible thing. And so that's when I was like, oh, okay. And for him, where he's at, is it sounded in his voice like it was almost like he was, I'm not gonna say failing necessarily, but just they, he wasn't where he wanted to be. So in your mind, he was successful. In his mind, he was not successful. Exactly. Here's another example of that. There was a comedian, Freddie Soto, the comedian who got me into doing stand, who, who was the one who like in, encouraged me the first time to be a comic. And I, so there's the comedy store van. And the first job, the second job I had there was to be the runner. And the runner rides around in the comedy store van and essentially drives Mitzi to appointments. Go get me a cow tongue sandwich, honey. You have to go get this weird food for her. And it was just a, and and, and in the old days, this was considered a really 
great job for a comedian because she would pick comedians to do it. And it meant she thought you were funny and she was going to start training you to be a comedian. Now, this was no longer the case. Like, like an apprentice. Like an apprentice. Right. That was the sell. That was like the way they hooked you. Yeah. Reality, you're riding around in a van, mm. you know, driving a, a woman to her appointments. But then the, and, and you would think that, how am I learning how to be a comedian? And yet, actually, yeah. she would say stuff to you oh. during that time, you know. But oh. she would never let you think she thought you were a comedian because that would ruin it, you know. Mm-hmm. But like, anyway, the point is, Freddie as he's training me to be the runner, because he was the runner before, he had me drive him to a UPS commercial audition for UPS. And I remember sitting outside in the van as he runs in there to do this audition, thinking to myself, man, one day, (laughs) I'm going to go on UPS commercial auditions. And I was excited about that idea. Like, I wonder if I'll ever get to that level. And how old were you at that point? I was like mid 20s you know i've just gotten out of college but i took some time off before college so um in my mind that was success and then anyway the point is every single level of success my encounter with people who are successful Mm -hmm. they never really seem to think they're successful you mean as you met people who actually were kind of well known and successful they still didn't feel that the, the, they didn't have the contentment. I've had conversations right. with... Mm-hmm. There's a, actually a phenomena that I have not experienced yet that you hear about. And it used to be... The, the, it's a Tonight Show phenomenon. So, um, have you ever heard of this? The Tonight yeah. Show depression? Oh, that you got on the show, but then you were... You get on the show. Yeah. You finally get on the Tonight Show. Right. You do your stand-up. You get off stage, you go back into your green room, maybe you sign some forms, you get in your car, you drive home, maybe you got some texts, some contact from people, you still have to go to bed. Mm. Now what? You go to bed, you gotta wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, you were in, and, and it's a comedian's report, This many of them. This kind of terrible depression sinks in. Another version of it is, on the road, mm-hmm. you have a great show. Right, right, sure. You kill. People are coming up to you after the show. Oh, so funny, so funny. Then you go back to the hotel. Forensic files is on. You lay in bed, <laughs> jerk off, <laughs> order a sandwich. Yeah. You're in your boxer shorts. Now what? And and so it's like postpartum depression. Yes. Very similar. Yes. Right? And 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 um. It's insidious because mm-hmm. you, you it, it's cliche, it's insidious, but yeah, it's a, um, having, you know, you witness these comedians and, and they are incredibly successful. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking some of the millionaires, mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of dollars at the very least. And you sit with them sometimes and they are so depressed and so unhappy, and so paranoid, and so miserable. And we hear about it all the time. They die. They overdose on pills. They shoot themselves. They get into drunk car accidents. They leave behind a trail of 
like children mm-hmm. with no parents. And yet if the world saw it, they would think, oh, success. Sure. They've got it all. Mm-hmm. They're famous. They've got the coolest job on earth. But they're dying on couches at friends' homes on pills. Freddie Soto, who got me into comedy, died of a drug overdose. They're asphyxiating on their own puke. And so... Now, you entering that realm, which you, you, you live in that world, right? Yeah. By choice, right? Yeah, absolutely. And also by creative bent, which is part of the, what the book's about, is that your creativity has led you to want to express yourself in this way, right? Yeah, it's it's still natural. It, it feels good. Yeah, I love it. And uh, how do you kind of calibrate your own sense of success then after having seen what you just described? Well, I am. Um, my main job is, you know, you just taught me something that I didn't even realize I was doing. If Trump or Rinpoche told you. <laughs> which is hopelessness. And when it comes to stand-up comedy, I have found that state to be my dearest friend. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean a depressed form of hopelessness. Mm -hmm. I just mean I love doing it. I get on stage and brings me joy. Mm -hmm. And that is what I like to do. I have a podcast, so my podcast is my job. It sustains me. So I feel that I have a success now. Like, I, I know that I have success. I have my... In your own terms, you, you feel successful. If somebody said, are you successful at what you're trying to do, you'd say yes. Absolutely. And would you say you're content also? Well, the reason I'm content right. is not because of the success, but that's not to say that the success doesn't take a... The success creates a space where you can practice in a unique way. Mm-hmm. But but if if I didn't have this the practice I've been learning from the Ramdas retreats, I don't know if I would think of myself as successful. I might be sick mm-hmm. um, with greed mm-hmm. or who knows what else. So yeah, my, I feel successful. The reason I feel successful is, is more because I, I have like a community of friends that I'm connected to and that makes me feel very successful. But mm-hmm. the other, it's hard to say because like, I want to, you know, you end up sounding like a real fucking high road and son of a bitch when you're like, it's not the fact that I'm supporting myself through my art that's making me happy. That's definitely part of it. But, um... Well, that, that's the point of view of the book, is that you can integrate these three things. That's the whole uh, intention of the book. You, you're a creative person, and you're expressing yourself. You've chosen to bring that to your livelihood, as yeah. opposed to as a hobby on the side. yeah. So you've had to learn how to do the business of comedy. Yeah. Make deals and get paid and hire people you need to support you. And you have some kind of well-being that you're cultivating throughout the whole process. That's right. That, that's exactly, you know, I'm, you know, if there's any aspiring comics out there, it's like this, this is, we're, we're t- trying to talk to them about this possibility. Well, let me tell you something Rogan said to me once. Mm-hmm. When, so, you, you know, like Ro- Joe Rogan is a, one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. And he is a, he, one of the things that he does is he will, if he, if you're, if he thinks you're funny, even if you're not at the time, which 
you know, I, I don't think I was when he saw, I just got lucky. He was in the back of the room. He, he saw me tell a joke that killed. I got off stage. He hugged me. He's like, man, you're funny. And that's Rogan telling you you're funny. And you're like, oh shit. Whoa. <laughs> and then he starts inviting me on the road with him. And then from and then he became my friend, but he was also my mentor for a long time. You mean as an opening act, or is it opening for Joe? You get right. to open for Rogan. I've watched him do this now with. Wow, so that's generosity right there. That was very generous. Generous for me, right. especially like I have this satanic puppet act I was doing. That was this is when he was on Fear Factor. So the people coming to see him, they weren't like these were like people who liked Fear Factor. Mm -hmm. They weren't necessarily Rogan fans. Rogan's comedy is raw and hilarious and like. Mm -hmm. You know, people coming from TV, they're just like, what the fuck are we seeing here? And like, mm -hmm. he thought it was so funny that I was doing the satanic puppet act in front of these people who were just horrified. Like some of them were like, just scared. Some of them confused, <laughs> but he thought that was just hilarious. And he was letting me do that. And he was, he would just say, just do it. Just do it, do whatever you want. Just bomb. I don't care, just do it. He was really, he's a great mentor. But I remember mm -hmm. we were at, a, he took me to a fear factor some kind of fear factor banquet. Mm -hmm. Now this is when I'm dead broke. So getting invited to a banquet for a starving comedian is really great because there's food. Because <laughs> you're gonna be eating really good food. It means you're gonna get a salad, you're gonna get maybe like a, you know, a steak or there's gonna be actual food instead of the shit you've been eating. Like when, I, when you're a starving comedian, man, I remember like having friends come over and they open their refrigerator Two comedians came over because I used to live right by the comedy store and they opened the refrigerator and I have cheese, just packaged cheese. And one of them goes, you have cheese? <laughs> and they start eating the cheese like like they were, they were refugees or something. Like, we were, you know, we were broke. And so we take, I remember this banquet and there's this great food, infinite foods, infinite wine, infinite food. And like fear factor shit, like a, a, a uh, an aquarium with those fish that you could stick your hand in and sticky. Anyway, this is what he said to me. He said, success, it's not like it makes you happy or not happy. He said, it stops the clock from ticking. He's like, right now you have a ticking clock in your head. You're worried about your bills. You're worried about your rent. You don't know if you're going to be able to pay for this or pay for that. There's always this ticking clock. I got to figure out a way to make mm -hmm, this much mm -hmm. money for them. I got to figure it He's like, when you get a lot of success, that clock stops ticking. Mm -hmm. So now you don't have to, now you don't have that constant gnawing anxiety that is the worry that you won't be able to make your bills or make your mm -hmm. rent. That's true. Right. But then when that clock stops ticking, yeah. you realize there's a lot of other clocks. The next ticking you hear is going to be a bomb. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the other um, dimension that, you know, I thought of you in relation to the book is this sort of, uh, in the creative chapters, we talk about daring, you know, wanting to, to um, that it takes some kind of leap, actually, to be creative. Have you found that to be true? Have you had to kind of leap over yourself in a way to, to, um, Absolutely. to express yourself Absolutely. In, in an honest way? 100%. You have to... Uh, if you know, you know, like certain things, certain jobs like um that are desirable jobs compared to other jobs right. if there wasn't that leap everybody be doing it if there if there wasn't like the leap of 
of uh, risk. It's like deep, treacherous risk and not like movie risk. You know, like in the movies, if you take the risk, if you take the big leap yeah. of faith, it always works out. You know, sure, maybe there's going to be some trouble along the way, but it always works out. And that's the movie leap of faith. And what about the relationship between success and risk? Because that's a sort of interesting, uh, you know, you get successful being a certain way, doing certain things, and then you go, well, I'm feeling like this other thing coming on here, but I might blow off my constituency. Yeah, sure. And, and I could see, you know, um, uh, I also see that tension be with people who are doing uh, uh, livelihood work and spiritual work. You go, well, maybe you need to like pull back from your success for a minute here and really do some deep practice, for example. Right. So a question of balance and priorities. So have you felt a tension between like, okay, I'm getting my, everybody thinks of me as this, like even here, this retreat, they think of you a certain way. You're fulfilling a certain role. Yeah, sure. Now, all of a sudden, you're turning into a contemplative <laughs> in front yeah. of everybody's eyes. Yeah. You were the kind of sparky, kind of cynical, crusty, yeah. uh, inquisitive, uh, younger guy. And now you're sitting there kind of in a kind of contemplative space, you know? Yeah, because you were being, because what happened was I, I, I realized that um, if you are a liar, mm. it's not going to work out for you. So period, period, mm -hmm. if you're a, and, 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 um, so when it comes to anything that you're doing, if, if you, and for me, what started happening was, oh yeah, okay. This stuff is actually not real. It, it not only is it real, it's, it's vital. Mm -hmm. And then you realize like, oh, this is, this is, if, if I start feigning disbelief in an attempt to <laughs> seem cool, you yeah, know, which yeah. which is I mean, feigning disbelief. Yeah. Usually, people are feigning belief, right? That's right. Yeah. You're, it, now you're, you have to feign disbelief. That's really funny. Well, the person who called it mm. called me on it originally was, um, gosh, what's his name, uh, Lama Suryadas. Uh -huh. I was because uh, I'd just done one of these things, and I was sitting up there, and I was trying to be as like fashionably cynical as I could be mm -hmm. to be like, ah, you old, you know, <laughs> old crusty hippies with your crazy n n ideas, and mm -hmm. it's a bunch of. Sh I didn't say I was being respectful, but it was like, you know, yeah. playing the part of this of the jaded, yeah. cynical person. But inside, you know, ha I was had already been having experiences and feelings and uh, of connection and, and the beauty of the thing that weren't matching what I was saying on stage. And so Lama Suryadas uh, is a llama. He's in a Hawaiian shirt, man. You guys, you know, you're tricky because you you from movies and stuff. We have this idea that you guys are going to look like something you know out of harry potter or something <laughs> you know and when you're camouflaged in yeah so a guy in a, a trained buddhist teacher mm -hmm. in a hawaiian shirt comes up to me he's like might i offer some uh, uh may i offer some critique mm -hmm. and i was like sure you know that's I, how he said it yeah it was very polite he's like do you mind if i offer some critique of what you're it was very polite and i was like oh yes please and he sits down and he says, you know that thing you're doing? You know, where you're like, he was talking about the skepticism and mm -hmm, stuff. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know what that's going to look like in 10 years? It's going to look like when you see videos of hippies in the 60s going, groovy, man. <laughs> and what he was saying is like, you're being fashionable. Mm -hmm, you're mm -hmm. trying to be cool. You're trying to be like, mm -hmm. what is the current way mm -hmm. to be? Which is like, let's all like roll our eyes at this shit and mm -hmm. like be super cynical. 
and that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And that was when he said that to me, it was, and I realized like, oh man, you just opened the door and a lion walked into your life. You just let a lion in that mm-hmm. was wearing a lion in a Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> and it was what you were talking about, wrathfulness. Mm-hmm. And, and then he said, you know, something on the lines of, if you keep pretending like that, it can kill you. Mm. And I know what he meant. I know what he meant. And it, it can kill you. I mean, it, the, the, uh, it's so unethical. Yeah. It's so, the karma is so bad. Like it's so disgusting mm. to be that level of a sellout that you mm-hmm. would rather have some jaded audience, I guess, appreciate mm-hmm. you as some kind of- With a big paycheck. Well, yeah, yeah, you know, you would exactly- all the accoutrement, you know? Well, I mean, it's satanic, isn't it? I'm gonna make a shit ton of money by telling people not to believe something that is giving me great happiness in life. Mm-hmm. What could be more horrific than that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely unethical and, and not and completely antithetical to the idea that I'm going to be this skeptical person. A, 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 a scientist reports results. Yeah. And also reports, this is why the results may not be real, which mm-hmm. I'm completely willing to do. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. And also the other thing that I found though is from that, whatever you want to call it, the honesty, which can, a lot of times you have to overcome a lot of fear to do that. It, it's the opposite effect. Mm-hmm. It's not as though now everyone's like, shut the fuck up, Hippie. <laughs> they, you know, it's like that. I fabricated that audience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know that that audience exists. Mm-hmm. I sit on my podcast sometimes and I'll be apologizing to someone who I think listens to my podcast and it's like, you woo woo hippie person, why do you say this shit? And I'll talk to that person, like, look, I know this seems ridiculous to you. And then I realized, oh, I fabricated that being. Mm-hmm. Well, so looking at the other, you know, turning it around the other way you know you're saying that the um edge a fabricated edge is not going to serve you in other words even though it might appear to be sexy or appealing you know like this guy's edgy you know yeah but on the other hand and and we're agreeing that fundamentally you don't want to fabricate that edge but then there's the real edge which is sort of um an essential ingredient of both creativity and spiritual practice where you kind of go more towards the edge of the experience uh, to uncover that may, that which may not be obvious, or, yeah, or, or that which may be covered by habitual kind of patterns of all kinds. So that's the sort of flip side of that edge. That edge is kind of how do you see that edge um, as a as a positive element in kind of in your creative pursuit and in your spiritual journey? It is. <laughs> okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I, I can answer that question. And, and the, and the mm-hmm. best way to answer it is this. You know, I love, we just had this great conversation about wrathfulness and, mm-hmm. and it not being like the way you, when you hear it, you think of someone screaming or something <laughs> or throwing shit at you. But what it really is is someone going right to the heart of the, the, mm-hmm. the thing. Mm-hmm. So there was a time it, it, when I was doing comedy and I was, in, I was lying to myself about a lot of different things. I was in a kind of... Uh, a difficult relationship that I was prolonging and shouldn't have been, essentially. And um, this comedian, Jay Lund- London, who is a one-liner comedian, he got on Last Comic Standing. I think he won it. But he's kind of like this shamanic figure. Literally, he's like, you just, you just see him, and he's, he's, he's a shamanic being. And we're at the improv. He just walks up to me. And he's like, how you doing? 
And I'm like, I'm doing great. Big smile on my face. I was miserable. And he looks at me and he goes, you know, if you're not telling the truth to yourself in your life, it bleeds out on stage. Wow. And it hurt so bad because I know, knew what he meant. It's like, man, these are, this is the audience. It's a group mind. Mm -hmm. You think they can't sniff out your self-deception? Mm. Please. You're not fooling anyone. You know, and so the way it applies to comedy is if you can get your day-to-day -day life on, on the beam, so to speak, you know. So that's, that's a voice for like having a balanced existence and still being successful and, 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 uh, Absolutely. and funny. You think it's all possible to do all of it? Because well, so, the edge to me is where you think maybe it's not possible. Maybe I have to give something up, or maybe I have to change something, or shift, or you know, uh, it was it was very intriguing to me to watch uh, you know the, the Gary Shandling, yeah, doc because I felt like and and you know you know I know a lot of comedian friends I do know that you know and and so this is an intriguing area for me I love comedy I, I love to laugh I like to, yeah you know kid around and and I I like the art of it and the artifice of it and the commerce yeah. of it I'm intrigued by the whole thing. I live in a nearby colony, which is called the music world. Yes. You know, the musicians world. They have yeah. very similar very things, similar. But, but some differences. So, you know, can, what would happen if you were true, but not funny? For example, there's an edgy question. If you were true, but not funny? Yeah, you said it's important to be truthful. Yeah. It's important to be honest, emotionally honest. And if that led you to a place where you were not funny, what would happen? Which path would you choose? Well, I, I don't think... Because in the Gary show, uh, Gary Shandling documentary, I felt like they teased that edge there in a very intriguing way. He was, as he was getting older and sicker and things like that, I think he was more, he was asking deeper questions about, about life and so forth. And maybe, maybe the short hop is to get a joke out of it, maybe, but maybe you have to skip that to, to get into the meat I'll of it. Tell you what I did. Yeah. I stopped doing comedy until I felt like I was funny, until I felt like I was back on the beam again. I mean, I just stopped. I, uh -huh. and, 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 uh -huh. and he sort of did too, right? Didn't he? Yeah, I yeah. think he did, but he would, he was like massively successful when he, when he's, you know, like, I think I don't, as yeah. I recall, yeah, but for me, it was like, I mean, I, I'm a mid level podcaster, mm -hmm. but my feeling was with it is like, well, you know, right now I don't really like what I'm saying up here. It doesn't really feel like it's reflecting how right. I, I think in the world. And, and I didn't, I, so I just stopped. And then, mm -hmm. um, and now I've started doing it again and I love it. But I, um, my, so my feeling with it is, number one, very important. The two are not mutually, like I don't, I think that you can always be, that whole superstitious fear that comedians have that they're funny is going to go away. Uh-huh. I, I if just, they get if they get kind of always insane or whatever, right? But I think this is just the way, like you know, what happens. Uh, Mara, the Lord of the Earth, appears to Buddha, and there's three temptations: the fireballs, the daughter uh -huh. of Mara, the question, uh -huh. "Why do you deserve to be the Buddha?" You know. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think walking down this path, this thing will appear. Mm -hmm. The Maras. Yeah. yeah, and I'll try to. Tell, tell you that for you to continue down this path, you must give up the thing you love to do the most, whatever it may sure. be. Like Job in the Bible, right? Yeah. Sort of that, that idea. And, and, and then what happens is you realize that you, 
when you give it up, paradoxically, is the moment you've t- you've started doing it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the moment you're like, okay, sure, all right, bye bye comedy. Yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. Bye bye comedy. Mm-hmm. Then you start getting funny uh, because this stupid, weighty, dumb idea of what you thought comedy was mm-hmm. based on seeing other people and what mm-hmm. you thought was cool and all this crap, mm-hmm. you just let go of, of yeah. all the things that's, that were holding you back. Would be, it, it be, this would be an interesting question to ask your, your friend um, Joe, who's a, f- a fighter, but we, I trained a meditation teacher in Japan and she actually is translator for UFC. So I've seen on TV with between these huge fighters, she's you know yeah. Japanese woman, but she started to teach meditation at some of the uh, training places, and one of the fighters came up to her and said, you know, I like this kind of settled quality and I like this practice. I'm a little concerned that I might lose my edge and and not want to fight. Yeah, and you could pass that question by with a kind of glib answer, but it's something very deep in it actually. You know, if it wasn't for the Maras. What would you be doing, mm. if anything? Mm. So it's uh, you know, of course, there's things that are said about this that the what would occur is without the Maras being the motivating force is more spontaneous, more organic, more filled with wisdom and compassion just by nature. That's the logic of it. But yeah. still, that's not somebody being at the edge of saying, I'm. You know, and there is in our tradition a lot of giving up in very famous stories about famous yogis like Milarepa and you know and Gempopa and these you know who had to give up whole things, uh, um, including financial resources, including right. opportunities, including relationships. Yeah. You know. So, are we? If we look at the edge of that question, what's, where does it take you? What do you mean, giving up? Yeah, like where does surrender or letting go or giving up um, take you if it takes you into new territory? Totally new territory. Completely unfamiliar territory. <laughs> if you're an artist, <laughs> I, I think if you're an artist yeah. or whatever, yeah. um, a cartographer maybe mm. is another way to put it. Mm-hmm. You want to get off the map. No one gives a shit. Like if like some, you know, if like, think about that. Yeah. A, a cartographer meeting. Yeah. And there's like a cartographer in the meeting who just goes to places that have already been mapped and redraws those places mm-hmm. and shows the other cartographers his right. maps. Who cares? Right. We have these maps. Detailed GPS aerial maps. Right. Who cares? <laughs> about your dumb maps like there's a million maps i do when i'm going to italy for example i do care you care about the maps but i'm saying the maps have been drawn of italy right so no one's doing a new map of italy yeah right and if they do it's the wrong map of italy (laughs) if it's interesting probably right so it's it's like who so so the thing is is like if you're if this by some great fortune the universe comes to you Mm. and invites you to step off the map Mm-hmm. What could be better than that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so now just I want to just tie one more thing together, and then I think we're kind of good uh, exploring this. Is, is now this notion of contentment is a very interesting idea from a spiritual point of view or a materialistic point of view. Yeah, like when you know somebody who has deep contentment, they're satisfied. 
Now, what does the Buddha say? Nobody's satisfied in this particular realm of samsaric existence where we find ourselves. Even the gods are not satisfied. Yeah. Even the people with the, who've made it are not satisfied. Even the people who are, are drenched in bliss are not really satisfied. Yeah. Because they want that result to happen again and again. Yeah. So, how would you equate contentment, which arguably is, I think, a powerful, positive thing to, to think about, Absolutely. with this edge that we're talking about, and kind of like, part of that edge is never being content. I'm not content with the map of Italy. I'm not content with doing that again. So is it possible to have your edge and be content, is what I'm asking. Mm. <laughs> you know, man, when I get content, yeah. I'll answer your question, but, but I, I, I want to say this to you. Um, uh, you do seem more content than you did two years ago, by the way. I feel, I feel good. Yeah, your energetic is more content, don't you think? Yes, yes. I mean, I, the, yeah, I, the, the feeling is, um, I mean, I think contentment is a pretty edgy thing by itself. Mm. If we're in a world where many people are, are completely freaked out and dissatisfied, right. and you and you run into a ha an authentically content person, mm. and and you see that, just that alone is is a pretty intense thing to run into. Right. And 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 for a lot of people, that's like slamming into a wall or something like that. And I think actually, Meister Eckhart talked about how he used different words than contentment but I think he did talk about how just I think he, he he used Christian terms for this but I think just having a having turned inward to the divine inside and being content with that that can make people certain people around you feel like they're on fire <laughs> absolutely yeah and what's edgier than that wow you know i think that's a good moment to end on cool awesome very clear moment and uh thank you so much duncan for hey, participating in this conversation it's part of our ongoing thread of talking about these kind of things together thanks for teaching me how to meditate Okay, my pleasure. Okay, thank you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, 
H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.